morning, good morning, everyone. And thank you all so much for joining us for our 30th episode of A Girl Like Me Live. I am Sierra C.C. Colvin. I'm program manager here at The Well Project, and I'm so excited to have this conversation today. A Girl Like Me Live is a wellness series that The Well Project has been hosting for, say, over two years now, um, where we invite community to come in and speak on different topics that are of importance and relevance. Um, and this one today is just so special to me. It's episode 30, which I can't believe. And just to commemorate, you know, our first episode, which I looked today was um, on celebrating the 40th anniversary of HIV and AIDS in long term survivors. And on that episode, you know, just being able to highlight women from the movement. We had Portia Dees and Aisha Scott and Vicki Lynn and Maria Meha. And just to hear that conversation um, and then to be here today, I'm going to just ask that each of you take a moment, introduce yourself, your affiliations, and we could jump right into this. All right, Dorothea. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'll start. Um, Dorothea, see her pronouns. Um, um, co-executive director and founder of Devil's Movement. Devil's okay, I go. Uh, go ahead. I'll go. Um, Kim Kennedy, I am a community advisory board member on the Well Project, and I'm also the founder of Conversations with Kim, um, LLC, yeah. Hey, y'all, hey, Antoinette, she, her pronouns. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. I am a co-founder, co-executive director of the Dandelions Movement, Dandelions Inc., and I also work at PWN as a national field organizer. Oh, thank y'all so much for being here today. So what really just sparked this very special conversation is, I'll say personally for me, it was those feelings that I felt seeing y'all on this stage at USCHA. For anyone that doesn't know, this U.S. conference on HIV and AIDS, it took place at the beginning of, what was that, September? Um, and the thing it was a love letter to Black women, and we had the opportunity to, I got to hear some background of, you know, Dandelions, to hear Mary Bowman's um, poem be played, it, like, touching, I cried. Then to see you all join this stage, it was powerful. To see, you know, women join you at the front of this stage was powerful. So, you know, from that moment to Kim's blog, that was an extremely powerful blog. I just wanted to get in and, you know, talk to y'all. What is this lifetime survivors? What are dandelions? Anyone can jump in to talk. Absolutely. Um, dandelions is um, the movement. Um, and lifetime survivors are individuals that was born with HIV or acquired HIV at childhood. Um, Dandelions came from the poem Mary Bowen um, quoted a few years back um, where she was talking about um, her mother and just being absent and um, yeah, we're here. Dandelions came from the poem Mary Bowen. So. So I guess I'll jump in. Um, it's weird when it's three people and you're trying to figure out who goes first. Um, so yeah, Lifetime Survivors. It came from last year. We were at USEHA and it was me and another Lifetime Survivor. We were presenting on mental health and basically us, Lifetime Survivors. At that time, we were still using the term verticals or perinatally acquired. We've had so many names. Um, and somebody in the audience was like, I was getting mad about people not recognizing us as long-term survivors. This has been, uh, I wouldn't even say a fight, but it's a struggle 
uh, we've had it since birth or at least early childhood. We've had it for so long, but yet trying to get into that space of being recognized as a long-term survivor kind of gets ignored um, because of our age versus how long we've had it. So I was in there and I was getting mad and I'm like, yeah, because we are long-term survivors, but that's, I don't want to just be that. And somebody in the audience said, that's because y'all had it for a lifetime. And I'm like, boom, lifetime survivor. And then after that, everybody, it's been a movement where all of us have a word that's by us, for us, and it's not just somebody else coming and saying, this is what we're going to call you because this is what fits our narrative. So this is Dandelion Movement Lifetime Survivors is you can kind of say the love letter to ourselves of saying that we're taking our own power back. I love that. Antoinette, you have anything to add? No, I think they covered it. I loved everything that was said. Mm. I loved it. I, you know, I'm all about taking power back and to see y'all come together, you know, together and say no this is not what we want to be called this is not what y'all gonna call us in to hear people chanting you know in the audience we're still here answer that you started it off we're still here it was like it was mm, electrifying i could feel it like in my skin because y'all have been here the whole time i just i love y'all so much you know <laughs> like because of y'all, I know that I could push on, you know, and thank y'all just for being here. I don't, I can't express that enough. Like, what was the impact of USCHA? I'm sitting in the audience. Like, what was it like for y'all to be on that stage and to be standing in front of so many people? I think I can start this time. So I think it was very, very like moving to be on the stage. Um, I'm really spiritual and I know when energy shifts and I can sense that there was an energy shift in that room just based on us like um, taking the stage and like standing in our truths. The way that we were able to um, share what the Dandelions movement is, what is a lifetime survivor and also uh, lay out our demands for folks to hear um, I feel like that was very impactful for the room. And like you said, the chanting, like that shit had me nervous at first. <laughs> um, it was really nerve wracking, um, but it was really, it was powerful. I knew, I knew it was powerful the second I seen all my people start walking up to the stage. I knew it was about to be over with. <laughs> so, yeah. Dorothy, what was that like for you? I was just going to say, I was going <laughs> to piggyback off her, man. Um, just to be in the room full of people saying our names and just owning our space. For so long, we haven't had space and we wasn't given space. Uh, if we was given space, we was given just a little bit to satisfy us. But to rename and reclaim ourselves back into that room and for people to come, even once we get off the stage, I think it was... More, it was impactful in the room, but what was more impactful is after we left the room and people coming to, oh, dandelions, hey, dandelions, hey, dandelions. So the, the feeling of everybody just embracing us after that moment, yeah, that moment was good, but the moment after even more impactful, like for people to be like, hold on, we want to know more about y'all. Um, and I got to be honest, like a lot of, a lot of spaces that we have been in, we've been doing this, like. It's not that we are here. We've been here, you know, like, and we was just, I felt like we was forgot about for so long. And just to reclaim that space again, it just felt good for me. And then afterwards um, to have people come up to us and be like, dandelions, lifetime survivors. Like, it just felt good. Like, yeah. I love that. I like that. And Kim, you've been doing this work for a while. Like, yeah. <laughs> What was this stage like, you know, in this stage of your career in life? What what did that feel like? Um it was it, it's a lot. It's a lot of different feelings. Um I've been doing this work since I was about 12. So starting off with just telling my stories as somebody as a non-progressor or what they call elite controller at doctors, at going to different doctor visits and different clinics and different institutions and talking about me being elite controller at a younger age. And then building up to learning about 
reproductive health and then the uh, AIDS activists and, you know, helping develop different programs I've seen out throughout the state now and throughout the country and the policy work. So like I've been doing this for over 20 years and to be able to step on a stage at my big, and it's only, I wouldn't even say my big age, but for me, the body of work that I've done and to stand on stage, not just even with the Lifetime Survivors, but also like later on, it's 10 different women and we're all talking about who, like, this is who we are and our experience. And that moment right there, after leaving off from with them, I was crying, I was boohooing. The moment I said my grandmother and my mom's um, anniversary date, and I wasn't even planning to be up there with them. They just said, Kim, join us. And I'm like, okay, fine. That took me out because I was already mentally getting ready for our portion um, for the 10 women. And then I'm filled with emotions because I haven't been in a space with lifetime survivors since I was in my early 20s because a lot of my friends passed away. So to be back in that space and to put myself in a vulnerable situation, I'm telling you now, I've been in therapy <laughs> twice a week trying to work through my feelings and trying to work through like my identity of who I am of, you know, I know this work is impactful and I know I want to continue it, but I need to get in the right mental headspace to continue to do this work because it is so, it can be triggering, but then it can also be rewarding with being with people that are just like you. So it's been a lot, a lot of different emotions um, being on that stage and after, just like Dorinthia said, it's the after part that you have to process that's been going on. And was, we're only like a month outside of that conference. I can imagine that it's still like some processing that will, you know, take some time. Um, oh, thank y'all. It was great. My next, I wanted to ask, like, you know, you mentioned since your early 20s being around other people who were born with HIV. How do how did y'all find each other now? Like, how are communities built out? How are you finding other lifetime survivors and other dandelions? Where how can they find you? I would say it's by word of mouth or just being in spaces and meeting people. Like right now, we're trying to build a community network so that we all can stay connected on Mighty Networks. Um, but it's mainly about like, oh, I know somebody else who needs to be here. I know this person who should be here. Like we have videos, like Dorinthia said, you know, we've been around, we've been doing this work since the age of 12. Like that's way back. So you got to imagine the different spaces that Kim has already been in. And many of uh, many other of us, like we have made connections along the way and we are just doing our part by bringing us all together so that we can actually have our movement. We can actually have our network. We can actually stay in community with each other, communicate amongst each other um, so that we don't go through the feelings of feeling like I personally was feeling isolated. I didn't meet my first dandelion who was Dorinthia until I was 24 years old. So I went 24 years not meeting another person like me and, you know, imagine like the mental suffering that I went through. So I'm like on 10,000 trying to find every single dandelion that I can and bring us together because I already know if I've dealt with that isolation, then how many other people in our community deal with that same exact thing? So. Well, 24. Wow. And how did y'all get connected? We met in a program, in a policy program um, called Youth HIV Policy Advisors. And we was both new to advocacy. We both started the same year. Like this was like brand new for us. Um, we honestly joined the program because we was getting paid for it. I ain't gonna lie. I ain't gonna lie. It was a little sun sun every Saturday. But honestly, like the, the change that we made by being in the program is impactful. Like now in Georgia, you know, they modernized the HIV criminalization laws. And I strongly say that our cohort in 2018 was the first cohort to ever bring up the modernization of those laws. We actually wrote a policy brief. We actually sat with those policy officials and let them know like HIV criminalization law is harmful for us, yet alone harmful for people who are born with HIV because we ain't never know about this until we sit in spaces like this. Imagine of all the like instances that we have already been in where we did not disclose our status and we could be criminalized. So we made it like our mission to make sure that we push through on our policy um, 
priority or whatever it was during that time. And then in that like following year, two years after, they decided to modernize the law. We was like, oh, don't say it ain't so because we know it's so. But yeah. I wanted to piggyback. Yes, absolutely. That was we. That was impactful. Like, um, and the coins that we was making was nothing. Like the work that we put into it, it was more impactful. Like the coins was like, yeah. <laughs> Let me go buy me a bag of chips. <laughs> Let me go buy a bag of chips. <laughs> but see, just but, showing up. <laughs> Doing the work, regardless of what your motivation was, led y'all to each other. And to watch this just blossom is phenomenal. I wanted to bring some light to the um, comments right now. I've been seeing them flash across the screen. Um, Grizel said that when people talk about isolation, it is nothing compared to the experiences of lifetime survivors. The story of isolation is so common among our community and it is heartbreaking. Y'all have um y'all just touched on it. Um, Bridget, she had a question. She said, I have to say they haven't been around each of you. The power and presence that all of you have is dope. How has HIV influenced your confidence and sense of self? So I, I guess I'll I'll jump in first. Um how is it? influence my confidence and my sense of self. I think I don't I don't know anything else other than being positive. Um that's so it's a blessing and a curse. And I say the blessing because I'm here and I'm alive. The other part is the fact that the the confidence is I I refuse to walk around and not be me and try to fit into a bubble that I don't belong in. And I think that was something that I'll, I'll speak for myself. I don't know about anybody else, but just that feeling of different, that feeling of not belonging, that feeling of, you know, invisibility. And I think that even with my big personality, uh, I, I didn't even realize my personality was that big. I just knew I was big. I was like, right, you a big girl, you know, you're going to be cute. You're going to be extra. Okay. Your hair going to be extra and your outfit's going to be extra because you can't be ignored. And I didn't realize that that was I, I put my, I realized that later that my personality comes out through my self of expression. And I know that you can't tell me anything about myself that I'm not gonna tell you about. So I think for me, my H, me being positive is just a sprinkle. That's just the topping of who I am. That doesn't make me be me. And I think that's one thing that a lot of people kind of forget is that, yeah, we are positive, but that doesn't make up my life. I'm more worried about picking out high schools with my son right now and the gas going up because gas is going crazy. Like, so for me, it's, that is what I'm worried about. The isolation that's going on right now with us in our community, where we're all in different states and different countries, and we don't want to talk about it out loud. We don't want to talk about the the weakness that we we don't want to seem weak we don't want to seem like we need the help when honestly we need the help from our community we need the help from not just us as people who are lifetime survivors but for everybody else and for a really long time it felt like we were just unicorns drifted out in the space and nobody cared about us nobody everybody forgot about who we were to a point where we kind of forgot about like do we still even exist does is this even important so i think the fact that for me, me having to step away and come back and reconfigure who I was to be back into this space to say, nah, I am important. I do matter. It's not just about how I show up, but it's about how I feel. And I think that's the part of being positive and being in this work and showing up is the important part is like, I got to be comfortable with myself. So it's really, honestly, it's forget about what you think of me. I got to think about who I am and what I, I could do for me. That that's how I see it. Oh, this conversation is life. Thank y'all for always showing up and sharing your voices. Love y'all, says Marissa. Well, I love this community so much. Yes, so popping. Yes, so popping. I don't want to get mushy. Anybody got something to say? All right. Um. 
So I want to go back to the questions because, you know, over here at the Well Project, how we be moving sometimes all the time is, you know, this is never a by yourself moment, like the never a by yourself movement. So gaining the input input and suggestions from our community advisory board to lead the conversation that we're having today, I'm going to go over to our questions that have been asked um, Lynette, I'm so blessed to witness this movement. I love y'all. Um, so some of the questions that came from our community advisory board for today's A Girl Like Me Live is, um, how do you all personally navigate survivor's guilt and navigate trauma bonding? That's a heavy question. If you want to move on, we can move on. So I'll, I'll jump in first. Um, so, what was the question again? I remember trauma bonding, and what was the other question? Survivor's guilt. Survivor's guilt. Okay. Um, so many people know that I think I've spoken on spoke about it on the main stage. I've spoken on it in different spaces. I think I was told by different people I don't share my story because it's people know me, but they don't know me of the experiences that I went through because I have a unique part of history from before, um, and I say before, like early on with HIV. And I've, because early on HIV, a lot of us who are still alive, um, we don't talk about it because it's. I wouldn't say it's beautiful now, but compared to where it was, to where we are now, it's a different mindset. And survivor's guilt was something that I still struggle with, where I said it at um, an event um, that Masanya was throwing, Masanya trailer, how flourish her event. And I was like, it's, I get reminded of my birthday of like all the people that I've lost because that's not only my anniversary, but it's, I'm still here and they're not. And even with showing up in this space where you got four HIV positive women, I literally get scared <laughs> on, are y'all going to be here in a year? Am I going to be here in two years? What does that look like? And that's a struggle that I still work through all the time of making friendships to the point where I, before, maybe a couple of years ago, I've stopped making friendships with people who are positive because it, it hurt too much to know that they might not be here. Now people die every day, but it's just in this community, it was happening so much, so fast that it just felt like the moment that you catch, you caught your breath. Somebody just knocked it out of you. And I was tired of not being able to catch my breath. So that that guilt of still being here showed up in my presence on how I interacted with people. I was angry, not just with my the people in the community, but people with my like my friends that's outside of this community, my family, and got mad. I would be mad. I'd be pissed off all the time of like, why, what's so special about me that I'm still here and I'm doing this work? And why am I doing this work? Why am I putting myself through that? Um, and then purposely trying not to link with other people who are positive because I didn't want that trauma bonding moment. I didn't want to say, this is what my struggle is and this is what your struggle is. Let's talk about something else. So like now I consciously make a decision to not talk about not just our experiences of living with HIV, but also let's talk about our kids. Let's talk about, you know, what work look like. What you doing? You hanging out? Where you going? How, where can I join? Because that part is the the pleasure part of life is the part that we don't experience or feel like we have the access to experience is just pleasure because everything else is just trauma and sorrow. Can I add um, just a little of, like she said, like um, I personally, um, I want to talk about the survival thing. Um, overall, I have lost two people due to HIV, right? But as friends, but my survival thing is my parents. Like for years, I thought I wouldn't make it past a certain age because my mom died at a young age, right? So for me to get to get past that age, I became more aware that HIV wasn't gonna kill me. Either I was gonna let myself go or allow HIV to destroy me or I was going to stand up. And I think that's where my survival came in. Um, I don't do the survival guilt thing. I think I did that in my younger years and 
I finally recognize that it's a little bit different now that HIV has n not impacted me as much as, much now that, than it did when I was younger. And the trauma bonding, I got to say, I enjoy, I enjoy my community, but I didn't reach community until I was 27. So um, honestly, I couldn't trauma bond with nobody. So that's my experience. Besides Nettie, of course, like we was trauma bonding together, like <laughs> we were born positive, like <laughs> but <laughs> of course, but that was that was just a space in my life, like, dang, I finally found one person of mine like that looks like me. Well, that that looks like me and also experiencing have experienced some of the things I um haven't experienced because growing up in a certain environment. I was told not to talk about it. And I'm pretty sure most, uh, both of the women up here can um, talk about that too. So it wasn't something that was easy to talk about. So my life, that was, HIV wasn't a brunt of my problems. Um, it was other things like Kim said, um, and I became bigger than it. Yep. Man, y'all got me in tears because I, and how I describe my group of friends who were born with HIV. I talk about y'all in the conversations when I go out in the world. I'm like, yo, I am the same age, around the same age as people who were born with this at the beginning of this epidemic. Like, are we like, are you paying attention? Like they're still here. We are still, and how are different those social determinants of health, how a lot of us come from the same type of backgrounds you know we share a lot of things in common and how you know you've been navigating it from the beginning you're like I couldn't imagine going through what I went through in childhood coupled with an HIV diagnosis and I'm just the strength oh man it's crazy so then in the community when we see somebody going through and we lose one it's like oh my god you know, seeing that Hadia has been, oh, that that is hurtful, Hadia Bourbon. And then the loss of Tiffany Marrero, the, oh, Marnina Miller did such a great job at for the memorial um, at USCHA. And to see how people came out for her, but that isn't always what happens, you know, it isn't always... And to not honor the people who have been here through the beginning, who have tested out a lot of treatment, who have taught us so much of what we know today, like that breaks my heart that that is not always the case. Um, and so now I'm not sure if you wanted to add anything to that last question before I go on. Um, I can like relate very closely to what Kim and Dorinthia said other than the fact that I don't think we trauma bonded <laughs> because we have like made a conscious effort in healing ourselves. Um, and we've been able to connect on a much deeper level in our healing than in our trauma. In our trauma, we were, I don't believe that me and D were as close as we are today because we were going through our, our trauma separately and then coming together, but it wasn't as close as we are in our healing journey. And the only trauma that me and Kim have is our addiction to coffee in the morning and only eating that. Like, that's not healthy, but we still going to do it every day <laughs> and call each other at the crack of dawn. Like, you got your coffee, girl? <laughs> so I, I'm just like, I stand 10 toes down. I'm, I'm a healer. I'm healed and I'm healing. So I believe all three of those things can work in conjunction with each other. Um, I used to strongly believe that I was going to, like, I used to have a real bad fear of death. And that and death was like going to be knocking at my door anytime soon. Um, and I had to get over that fear and had to like just move into a space of healing. So I released a lot of that. Now I have a really weird connection to death in the cycle of life. I don't know what it is, but I am like comfortable with it. I have no fears around death. And I also like help. I'd be telling myself I need to be a death doula because of how comfortable I am with death in myself and like also walking other people through navigating what death in the cycle of life is. So that's just how I am. Now I got a Google death 
doula. I never. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a good job. I was looking at that myself. I was like, oh, help you helping somebody with their transition as they're transitioning to pass on, and you you're helping them with that process because most people run away from it. That's so sad that a lot of the. Tra- I guess it's a beautiful thing, like Antoinette said, like your trauma. You you heal through your trauma, so now you want to help somebody else heal through their process. So because not everybody kind of runs away from death, and to help that with the family, and to also help um, the person passing on get comfortable, it's um, like a social worker as you're passing on for the most part. This is at least a doula for everything. There's a doula for death. There's an abortion doula, a birthing doula, all types of doulas. I love it. But when I heard about the death doula, I was like, that totally makes sense because I think Dorinthy is probably <laughs> the best witness that I have. But like, we're like, girl, like, why aren't you freaking out like emotional like I am? And I'm like, I know the cycle of life. Like, I know after this, there's so much peace that comes after this. I know with being here in the physical form, there's so much hell and hot water that we have to go through and walk through. So I, I dream peace, <laughs> you know, and I'm comfortable with that. And I'm comfortable with knowing where my ancestors are and, and how they are living such a peaceful life. Like I can go on and on, but I'm gonna just stay on topic. I love this. Krista said, Woo, the wisdom on this panel. So grateful for you to share your experiences today and for so many years. I, I echo it. Aisha said, Girl, me, I was so afraid to turn 27. I can't. Uh, that's crazy. Because when I got diagnosed and I looked, I thought I was going, like, I had till 40, and I'm only five years off of that. But imagine at 27, like, as the that age, like, yo, that's crazy. Like, and you can't, I, I can watch someone like my young sister now. She's in her mid-20s. Like, imagining that you're thinking that life is going to end at that point. I can't fathom it. And y'all still here. I'm so grateful. Thank y'all for being here with us today. <laughs> I, um, Quentin, he says, every birthday is age shows for him. Oh, man. I was um, going to move on to another question about why do you today, like, that? what do youth need today that are growing up without a cure or still and still living with HIV? So I guess maybe I would pose that as, you know, what would you tell your younger self, or, you know, without this cure? How what would what things would you say to your youngest self? That 27-year-old, that 15-year-old. Well, I can start. Um, I would have told myself that I was gonna make it past 27. Um, like Aisha said, like my mom died at 28. So for years and years, like I told myself I was gonna get to 28 prepare myself to transition on. I would have told myself too, also HIV is not your identity because of because of so long, it was quiet in my household. So it was just like, damn, I got HIV, but I can't talk about it. And I'm afraid to talk about it because I may lose people. So I would have told myself like, girl, you're going to lose a couple people too along this route. Like, but you got to be okay with that. And and be comfortable with who you are and who you're gonna become. Um, and make sure you know that everybody you you're everybody ain't gonna like you. Some people are. Like I would have told myself that as well. But yeah. I think I would have told myself that um, you are the cure rather than awaiting or anticipating any scientific person, doctor, anything, researcher to try and cure our community and me, uh, I would have said you are the cure. We all are. And let that be it. Um, I guess if I had to tell my 15-year-old self something, 
uh, it would say you're worthy of being loved. I think for at that age, I thought that nobody was going to be with me. Nobody was going to love me. I didn't even know if I was going to be alive long enough to see love um, and be in love and understand what that means and understand like to have a child at that age, thinking about children, I didn't think that would ever be possible like to, to see that now. And I don't think people fully understand what that means at that time. Like at that time, and I say that time in the early 2000s, late 1990s, where you might hear people say it, but it really was Russian roulette. It wasn't as nice and soft out and ironed out. And it's not even ironed out now. It's still rough. But it was rough back then. So my 15-year-old self is, you're going to find somebody and he's going to love you and you're going to question it and you're going to question yourself. You're going to question him and you're going to question the existence of why. But don't do that. Like, just know that it's real. And I think that's the part that a lot of us go through is, why would you want to be with somebody who's positive? Like, do you understand what this means? And convincing myself or convincing him while I'm pushing him away. And I think I spent a lot of my relationship pushing my husband before he was my husband away um, and while I accepted myself. And then I think that was the the rough part is that he was through the journey because we've been together since we were 16. So 15, that's right up, right on time, girl. Just breathe. It's okay. And just like Antoinette said about we are the care. I, yeah, that's all I got to say. I'm going to just leave it like that. I'm not even going to touch that. Y'all making me emotional. One thing I'm going to add, though, because even with you asking this question, I thought about the question that Bridget put in the chat and, like, the confidence and how, like, it's, it's great to see how much confidence we exude now that we are, like, living in our self-worth and our self-love. But it took a lot for us to even get to this point. Like to not agree with the world and not agree that we are the stigma, that we are nasty or or we are not worthy of of life. And like for me, when that question was asked, I immediately thought about a poem that I wrote called I'm Solar Baby. And I say in the poem, like, um, I pulled it up as soon as that as soon as y'all said that, but I said. This righteous fitness queen, finest, thick-spirited, headstrong highness, black girl magic, so join the majesty. Like it took a lot for me to get to this point. It wasn't overnight. It took a lot. And I had to sit in my trauma and my shit and really look in the mirror and be like, like, who the fuck are you talking to? Like, <laughs> like why are you talking to yourself this way? Why are you thinking this about yourself this way? So to be where I'm at now and to even see my beautiful, black, brilliant, amazing queens and like on this call and see where y'all are. And like, it's just beautiful. It's honestly beautiful. And I just, I receive y'all the same way y'all are receiving me. Hey, see, let me just add one, I think one major thing is God. I think we all forgot to mention him in this space. Every last one of us is that's why we are here in this space. But I'm done. Amen. I appreciate it. Um, Krista, I saw the comment just flash about would you be able to uplift some of or all of the demands that were read at USCHA, especially for those who are not in the room? All right, we can, you want to take a moment to get to those and then I can, um, we'll move on to the next question and that's cool. So, oh, this was a good question. What inspired Kim's most recent blog post? What was the name of it? It was like, I'm a lifetime survivor, put some respect on my name. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> It was different things that inspired the blog post. It was, so one, USCHA. It was an experience. 
besides the fact that I felt like everybody got sick um, in different ways, whether it was COVID, I got RSV. I felt like an elderly toddler. Like, who gets that? That's a baby little thing. <laughs> I was mad. Um, but also, again, the self-reflection of leaving out. Um, one, seeing, wanting to see Hydea's name lifted up more. Um, going to Tiffany's memorial service, which I barely got through. The, I got through the door and out the door. And that was an experience for me. Um, and then leaving out and meeting different people. And on my way home, thinking about, again, like I said earlier, how do I want to show up in these spaces moving forward? What is it that I need to go back to? I need to go back to what I remember that I said I wanted to, to do. Like, what were my goals? And I was just thinking about who am I? I've done this work for so long. What what does identity look like? And then I started thinking about Lifetime Survivor, that name. We all said that name on the stage and the power that came out of it. And then having to share our experiences over and over and over. And I wanted to make sure that the people that wasn't, that have been living with this for so long, actually got a spot to see like, this is who we are. This is what a lot of people have been talking about when it says that we got other people controlling the narrative of who we are. We are not doing that for ourselves. So that's where a lot of it came from. It came from just uplifting those who wasn't there, those who are still doing the work. And I'm shouting people out because like you got Raven Lopez. She was right mm -hmm. there with Hydea doing the work. And, you know, just to uplift her, the people that have passed on, that Mary Bowman, like who inspired these two, that that wasn't even their original name was the Dandelion Movement. But then hearing her, hearing that poem influenced them to do that. And that's just like Antoinette said, the ancestors speaking to them, because she's an ancestor now, whispering in their ear, telling them, like, this is the way to go. So I think a lot of us is going off of passion, going off of things that, you know, we've experienced and saying, like, now nah, you are going to see us. You are going to hear us. You are going to, like they're about to do, hear, hear our demands, because I'm tired of living a life where I have to try to fit in somebody else's box that I don't belong into. I'm... It's you fighting to go into a party that you ain't invited to and people looking at you like you're crazy. And then you like, but I belong here. And they're like, yeah, mm, no, you don't. So this is what uh, put some respect on my name as well, too. I love it. I love everything about all of what y'all got going on. This is amazing. And it's so beautiful to watch, you know, watch you demand to be treated and spoken to a certain type of way. And then to watch, I saw a post go out on Facebook the other day. That was like, how are my dandelions? Like the fact that other people are like catching on. And I was in a new space. And I was like, no, they changed their name at the U.S. conference on HIV and AIDS. They're lifetime survivors now. And it was like, oh, oh. So, you know, whatever part that I can do just as a sister in the movement to, you know, help uplift this movement, I got y'all. Um, the We did have the demands, and I don't know who wants to take us that step. I can read it. Um, and I love, I can't remember if it was Alyssa or Dorinthia who read the part as far as like, don't call us verticals anymore. <laughs> like, yes, ten, yes, don't call us verticals. But Janisha read our demands um, and she read it with so much eloquency and like just fierce and force behind it that it just shifted the room for me. So I know I can't read it the same way as her, but I hope it has the same lasting impact for folks in the community. So our demands, we demand safety, we demand respect, and we demand love and life inclusion, making us invisible or an afterthought is violence. We demand to be reflected in research, policy, programming, and decision-making tables. To the funders in the room, we demand funding dedicated to initiatives designed and driven by our population directly. Don't be giving the funds to people who, after the speech, will want to jump on the bandwagon but out without letting us lead. And if folks are confused about that last sentence, that means stop funding other orgs to do the work and hire us. Why aren't you just funding us, Dandelions Inc., which is a 501, like fund us as a nonprofit. 
stop funding other people to hire us. It's been too much harm that has happened by you funding somebody else and then hiring us. And then they're not paying us equitably or what we deserve to be paid. When me and D say we was making scraps, we was making scraps to show up into these spaces. So yeah, fund the movement so we can hire our own people. That's a vision of ours. We want to be a multi-organization and we want to be able to hire and pay our people equitably so that they can live above livable wage, not meeting livable wage, but so that they can live above it, not having to make a decision of what they're going to feed their children, put food in the fridge, pay their rent, pay their bills, anything like that. No, people need to be living comfortably. We need to be taking care of our community. And since we've been here, been here since the beginning, yeah, we should be the first to receive the services. I'm complete. Amen. That's it, mic drop. <laughs> oh, that is powerful. Yeah, you gonna do me like this because I said do me like this and stop calling me this that I ain't. Who agreed on this? I, d I wasn't there when they came up with any of these terms, but I heard a story of, you know, that this was the community had decided on a term such as the verticals. And you already remember what I said okay. when I was in that room. And I said, excuse, excuse me, hi, Kim, Kim Kennedy. Mm -hmm. This term is done. Thank you. They said, well, y'all people did it. I said, hey, my people. I don't know who those people were, but no. Vertical is dumb. It's the same people who were speaking for us and making decisions for our bodies. Don't say y'all people did it when we were unable to even make choices. Like, they playing. This term, vertical, perinatal, they've been around since the yeah, get-go. Get we, they make sure we don't have power. Yeah, white power people and white coats made that term. I'm like, that's not us. We didn't do that. I'm like, and I'm pretty sure nobody want to be referred to as a geometrical line figure and say that is who we are. I'm like, I, I know I don't. I don't even like math. So why would I do that? Like, I, that don't make any sense. Why, why would we want that? But anyway, I'll stop. And when we were using the term perinatal, I felt personally that perinatal was too stigmatizing for us to use. Now, we're not saying that people are not still using these terms. They are. It's do what you want to do. But it's stigmatizing to take ownership of a term that we did not, one, create and name ourselves. And then, two, perinatal, we are stigmatizing not only ourselves, but our parents, our mothers. Like, how dare we stigmatize them even more for a choice that they did not choose to make? Like, people don't really be thinking about this until we address it. And it's like. And even then it's apologetic and then they stop. They mm -hmm. stop for that moment, and then the moment that we leave out the room, then they call us whatever they want to call us for their comfortability. It's like when we show up in spaces and we have hard names, whether it's our first or last name, they will not take the time to try to understand how do you say, I got named Candy, Canada, it's a Y, you can see it, um, Canady, Kennedy, and it's like, no, Kennedy. And it's like, mm, that's too difficult. And I don't even have a difficult last name, but then yet you will... Call me whatever you feel like it. But then when I stand up and say, this is how you say my name, it's like offensive because I'm sticking up for myself. This is what we're talking about. It's that whole, this is who we are. Respect us. Say, this is what we're telling you. Respect our choice. Respect our decision and move on with that. Just like how we have to move on with chicken wings being $20 at one point, you have to now go with the fact that this is who we are and this is what we want to be called. Gas is now $8 in California. That's disrespectful. But people ain't got no choice if they got to go to work. I know y'all tired of my analogies. Let me, let me, I'm just saying, respect us. Give us what you want. You mind if I just say this? Uh, <laughs> Am I breaking up? No, come in. Okay, so listen, basically they say stop sympathizing and empathize with us by giving us a coin, isn't it? I thought D was going to hit us with, yeah, my name is Dorinthia, because that's what she yeah. always... I am tired of that, too. It's Dorinthia, <laughs> not D-E-R-E-N-T-H-I-A. It's D-E-R-I-N-T-H-I-A. 
Dorinthia. Right. I hope y'all got that. I, really hope. I was, was going to say, can we go back to the coins? Because I'm really getting tired of people paying us um, $100 in a mug and say, thank you for doing the service when we have to literally, and that's all positive people. A lot of us have to get into a space that we are not in on a regular day basis to then tell a part of our soul, whether it is a story, whether it is a, a moment that we have to go through that mm. we normally are not thinking of and we are not getting paid adequately for that. And then you want us to just be okay with that when we still have to pay our extreme amount of rent and live because a majority of us have children to survive and we can't do that. And just like you said, figure out what you're going to give your children. It's figure out if, if I can give my children food. Or if I can even eat, because that's been a time where it's like, we're going to go on this food pantry line and we're going to get this chicken. They're giving out that free turkey and ham. And okay. That because that's going to be good Thanksgiving. And that is a thing that people don't talk about. People don't express. And then they look at you like you are ungrateful because you're saying this is not enough or pay me to be on the stage. People who had me on the stage and didn't pay me. Yes. But anyway, I'm not going <laughs> to say more that because she got paid. Wow. Okay. That food pantry line really hit hard because out here in Georgia, they have an organization called the Grocery Spot. And they give away great groceries. Great groceries. But that line, that line be wrapped around the corner. And I was like, damn, I will really go and stand on that line. Like, if I don't have my toddler with me, because I can't stand on a line that's going to take me about two and a half hours to get through with a toddler. But if only we lived in a just world where, you know, this isn't our realities. But I'm going to find me a day to go stand on that line, though. Some groceries are top tier. Like, they're not giving scraps or, like, make something with this because you know y'all know how food pantries be they be giving y'all the damn near about to be expired type of stuff or expired by a couple of days already it's just a couple the bread be hella expired and i be like now y'all know <laughs> now y'all know this got a little bit of mold on it but we just supposed to cut around it and we be all right even since this dead make that would go down a whole nother route but you know someone with immune system that is compromised now i'm eating compromised food because i don't have the resources to secure you know food that maybe is not I, how how old is milk and bread supposed to get like i i just don't want to okay <laughs> So it's like, it's like for me, that's where a lot of my passion comes from because I know I'm not the only one that's going through it. Like we all going through inflation. We all going through hard times. But if there's not nobody, anybody fighting for equity, fighting for justice, fighting for our rights, then, you know, we're just going to fall wayside. We have for 30 plus years. 30, the epidemic is 40 years long. 35, some of us are 40, 45. Like we've been here. Yes. We've been full of wayside. We, y'all have not been thinking about us. Don't say that you have. Y'all have not. We've been y'all babies, so it's like keep them babies over there, put them in a playpen while we handle this over here. But it's it's not that. It's our time. We're grown now. I know this right. I love everything that has been said today. I'm snapping fingers, everything. You all have really touched me. And I know that the audience, you've seen the comments. They've just been uplifting and agreeing and pouring love into. I'm so grateful for y'all today. As we, you know, come into our last few minutes on this live stream, although the conversation will never end. Um, I want to ask if you all could just answer, why is it so important to power? Prioritize those born positive and the babies that are still being born positive. And I think Antoinette Dorinthia, you can use this as an opportunity to plug your interests for. Mm. Yeah, I'm. I, I'm gonna go. Is that cool? Um, I love that you said the babies that are still being born positive. Because one day the the beautiful black, brown, voluptuous 
gorgeous women that you see on this call, we're not going to be here. We're going to sit our happy ass down on somebody's rocking chair on the porch. Like we're not going to have the strength in us. We barely got the strength now because of how long we've been living with this virus, but we are making sure that we still do show up. Um, there's still going to be people coming up underneath us being born today, like even more isolation, even more uh, self stigma, even more self hate, even more mental health issues. Like there's still a generation that's coming up, Gen Z's and many, many more behind, beyond that. Um, so it's important that the foundation and the work that we are doing today will benefit them in the future. Like, I feel like we've all made that very clear in the form. That's the whole reason and our mission behind Dandelions is not just so that, you know, we can serve, we can finally have a movement for our community now, but it's like, no, there's younger kids younger than us. Like we want to develop program for youth, for adolescents, for children, for babies. Like we want to have these conversations with them. We want to have a peer-to-peer -peer relationship like we should have with our younger generation. They should be, we should be the one mentoring them on how to navigate their diagnosis. So there's so much more to come. Like there's so much more to live. There's so much more beyond this. And I guarantee even when that generation come up, there, HIV may not even be a factor. It will be a part of it, but it's going to be other things in their lives that they're going to need help navigating and not know how to do it because of their HIV diagnosis. I'm complete with that. And I think she said something about our interest form. Yes, we have an interest form now for the Dandelions movement. Um, so hopefully um, CC you can post that for everyone to be able to get. And you guys can follow us on DDLS on Instagram, Dandelions Movement on Facebook. Twitter, TikTok. Come on now. Oh yeah, Twitter, TikTok. Yeah, my bad. YouTube too. Yeah, my bad. And soon our website will be up and running. And yeah, and our GoFundMe will go live. Yeah. Yay. And Kim, you have anything to close this out with? Pay me. No. Um, <laughs> no, but just honestly, remember who we are. Get these programs out. Build these camps. Build these support groups. Build these retreats. Give us the, forget build, give us the yes. money for us to be able to build these retreats. Give us the money for us to be able to get these camps. And not even just camps solely for people who are living with HIV, but those who are living with HIV like us, who are born with it, to run these facilities, to run this programming, to tell, uh, so we can be the ones that is in power. Move, how about people step aside from their positions that they've been sitting on for 20, 30 years, move over and hire one of us or all of us to take that spot. Stop looking at us for what we look like and think or our age and think that we do are not adequate for these positions. No, put us in power. We know what we're talking about because you're stealing our intellectual properties anyway. So just put us there and pay us there adequately. I think for me, and I keep saying pay, 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 but I can't survive and go outside and do anything without money. I can't barter my shoes that <laughs> for, for for some tissue. So we gotta have the confidence in ourselves for us for us to mobilize. But just like they said earlier, babies are still being born. I'm not gonna be doing this work, I promise you, in another 20 years. I'm gonna be on somebody's tropical island walking around with some sand that I do not like with the wind blowing in my hair, with some type of tequila sunrise tropical drink in my hand, enjoying the life that I got. So this is why it's important for y'all to pour into us now while we can then train the next people up and coming so that way it can still keep going. Because from the looks of it, it does not look like HIV is ending. We got this whole agenda of ending the epidemic and it's not, go it's not ending right now. Not when a baby was just born a month ago from what I know in Atlanta and what are we doing about it? Nothing. And it's 42 years in this epidemic. And nothing is changing. Pay us and hire us so we can do this work. We available. We telling you we available. Give us the money. Fast. Thank you. Yes, absolutely.
They said paid them. Okay, so thank you all for joining our 30th episode of A Girl Like Me Live today. This has been wonderful, wonderful, phenomenal, great. I don't know, spectacular. Another word for all of those things. This has been a joy. I love y'all so much and thank you again for joining us. So you all just keep an eye out for our on our Facebook, the Well Project's Facebook page on when our next episode of A Girl Like Me Live will be in that topic. But thank you again. And that is going to be the end for us today. <laughs>